Good morning again. My name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning we're continuing our series in true identity. So um, we're going to start with uh, Calvin and Hobbes this morning. Here we go. Yes, you can have excitement going on here, Calvin and Hobbes. Do you love me, Dad? Of course I do, Calvin. Would you still love me if I did something bad? Well, of course I would. I mean something really bad. Calvin, what did you do? I had someone after the first service come up to me and go like, what did he do? I said, you'll have to wait for that. So the the important question that we're discussing this morning is, am I loved? That's what Calvin is asking his dad, and that is what we ask over and over again. Am I loved? And of course, we all want to be loved by the people around us, and I, I do hope and trust that you are experiencing being loved here at Cold Springs Church. Our deepest longing is to be loved by God, our creator, is it not? Our deepest longing is to know that we are loved by God. Augustine wrote this, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. Do you know that God loves you? Are you convinced? That God loves you. The Apostle John refers to himself throughout the Gospel of John as the Beloved. And uh, I'm going to read a few of these verses where he, where he says that. The one whom Jesus loved. And so there's five places. So uh, let's, let's look at each of these. In John 13, 23, John writes, One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. And so this is at the Last Supper. And John writes that of himself, the one Jesus loved. And then in John 19, 26, when Jesus saw his mother And the disciple whom Jesus loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Women, behold your son. And then in John 22, this is after the resurrection. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And then in uh, John 21, 7, now this is when uh, Peter and John had gone out in a fishing boat to do some fishing because Jesus had died on the cross and, and they didn't, like, what else are you going to do? I guess we were following Jesus and now our time's not taken up following Jesus, so I guess we go back to fishing. And they saw Jesus on the shore, cooking breakfast for them. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. 
And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. That's, that's one of my favorite passages in Scripture, by the way. Peter, they're in the fishing boat. John says, the one whom Jesus loved, says, that's Jesus cooking some breakfast. And so Peter puts on his sweatshirt and jumps in the water. And then in John 21, 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is the one that is going to betray you? The one whom Jesus loved. That's how John refers to himself. Are you the one whom Jesus loved? And it's funny, we read that, we read that in the Gospel of John, and we think, what, John writes it? John is such an egotistical maniac. Why does he keep talking about himself like, oh, there's only one person that Jesus loves, and that's me. But is that really? No. I mean, just think about it for a second. Think of all the Gospel of John and 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Are there any other times when, when John talks about God's love for everyone? Perhaps you think of John 3.16, the first episode of Nick at Night, when Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved John only. No, it doesn't say that. For God so loved the world. And there are so many other scriptures that John wrote where John refers to God's love, Jesus' love for everyone. John Piper says this, perhaps this is John's way of saying, my most important identity is not my name, but my being loved by Jesus, the Son of God. What is your most important identity? Is it something about you? Something about your character? Something about your job? Maybe it's your hobbies. Maybe it's your friends or family. Or is the most important thing about you that you are Jesus' beloved? question we're talking about this morning is this, how can I know that I am loved by God? And the simple answer, the overarching answer this morning is this, remember what Jesus did for you. Remember what Jesus did for me, because God has proven his love for me in Jesus. And there's four, there's four, four things we're going to look at through the gospel of John, four ways that Jesus showed his love for us, for you, and for me. Number one, he came for me. In John 1, 14, it says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So who's the he? Who's the word? So in the, in the Gospel of John, there are seven times that Jesus is recorded as saying, I am blank. And there's one super important time when the Pharisees and the religious leaders were asking Jesus, quizzing Jesus about who he is, etc. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And the Jews picked up stones to stone Jesus for blasphemy. Because they knew what he, they knew what he was saying. Because I am he is a very clear reference to the Old Testament scripture, the burning bush, where God appeared to Moses, and Moses said, you're sending me to the, to the Hebrews to f- free them from, from slavery in Egypt? Well, who sh- how, why are they going to believe me? Who, who should I tell them sent me? And you remember the words of, of God? God said to Moses, tell them that I am sent you. I am who I am, Yahweh. And so when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, they knew exactly who Jesus was claiming to be. He was claiming to be Yahweh, the Lord. And then there are seven instances in the Gospel of John where Jesus refers to himself as Yahweh, I am blank. I want to read those to you. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. Who is Jesus? He is the great I am. And how did he come? He came in the flesh so he could be among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God wants to communicate to us, so what does he do? He becomes the word. He becomes flesh and dwells among us. God doesn't send a bunch of flyers from heaven. He becomes a man out of love for us. Do you want to know what Je- Do you know what, what God is like? Look at Jesus. And what is God like? How did he come? He came full of grace and truth. Richard Tan says this, grace and truth are distinct and yet they are not mutually exclusive. But when people focus on one without the other, they usually fall into two extremes. They either embrace a gospel of grace without truth 
or a gospel of truth without grace. The truth is that we are broken, sinful people who need a Savior. That we are a people who need to repent, to turn away from our sin and our self-focus and our doing our life our own way and turn to God and say, God, I surrender. I trust you, that you love me. I surrender my life to you. That's the truth that we need. And we need grace because in our sin, we can't fix ourselves. We can't make ourselves right with God. We need God to do that. We need the gift of God. We need the grace of salvation, of forgiveness. Why did he come? Ephesians 2.13 says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who have once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Why did Jesus come? To bring us near to God. That's why he came. He came to bring you near to himself. And a similar verse in 1 Peter 3.18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. So why did Jesus come? Why did he die? That he might bring us to God. Why? Because that's the thing that we need the most, is to know and experience God's love for us. Augustine said this, Thou hast made us for thyself, and we shall never find rest until we rest in thee. Our deepest longing is to find rest in being loved by our creator. All right, number two, how can I know I'm loved by God? He lived for me. He lived for you. John 15, 9 says this, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So this is, this is in the context of the passage in John 15 where Jesus is teaching on, I am the, I'm the true vine, the vine and the branches passage. And basically saying, stay connected to me because I am where life is at. If you are connected to me, you will have life, you will have joy, and you will bear fruit. And he says this to his disciples in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And so we might rightfully ask, so what is love? Here's a great definition of C.S. Lewis. Love is not affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. Good definition of love, right? Or Billy Graham says this, God is love means that he tries constantly to block your route to destruction. Isn't that a great quote? But it's reality, right? In our sin and our self-focus, we're constantly wandering away. And God is constantly drawing us back. 
because life is found in him and walking with him and knowing him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this, grace is freedom from the bondage of a self-chosen way. In God's love for us, he wants to save us from ourselves, from the bondage of a self-chosen way. Where is life? Life is found in a God-chosen way. When we surrender to him and trust him and trust his love. And notice, notice the quality of love here in John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And we might wonder, like, what kind, of, what kind of love does Jesus have for us? And Jesus himself tells his disciples this, and, and us as well. His love for us is the same as the Father has loved him. So how much, has Je- how much does the Father love the Son? That should blow our minds. Like throughout all eternity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit have been in eternal communion with each other. And the love they have for each other, that's the kind of love that Jesus here says that he has expressed to his disciples and the way that he loves us. And he says, abide in my love. So how do, how do we respond to his love? He says, abide in my love. How do we do that? Some other translations, instead of abide, say, remain. Or live in my love. That would be another way to say it. How, how do we do that? Here's three things. Number one, Trust. Trust that he loves you. Jesus, I trust you that you love me. And when we trust him that he loves us, that naturally leads to obedience. Because when we trust that he, he wants what's best for me, then, of course, it only makes sense, and I would, I would do what he says. And if I'm convinced that he loves me and that I'm going to do what he says, then the natural result of that is that I would seek him out, seek out his truth, seek out his word, seek out his commands, seek out his instructions, because I want to live. Trust, obey, and seek. That's funny, just in a, a few minutes ago, we were in our uh, time of singing. We sing that, that song that we, will, that we will praise him on the top of the mountain or in the deepest of the valleys. Why is that? Because we trust him. Because we trust that he loves us, so we obey him and we seek him. All right, number three, how can I know that I'm loved by God? He died for me. He died for you. In John 15, 13, we read this. Greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus says. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. Love and sacrifice. Sacrifice. 
Here's a great definition of love from Grant Howard. Love takes the initiative, acts sacrificially to meet needs. That's taken straight from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Love takes the initiative and acts sacrificially to meet needs so that everyone who believes in him will not die but have eternal life. And it says here in verse 13 of John 15, Jesus says here, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He calls you his friend. He called his disciples his friends. And by extension, he calls us his friends. In John 15, 14, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And then the very next verse in 15, 15, he says, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from the Father I have made known to you. We are his friends. First Peter 2.24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Sin leads to death. And we are stuck. We are completely stuck in that cycle of sin leading to death. And then Jesus steps in and dies on a cross, hung on that tree, that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. He broke the cycle. His death on the, on the cross frees us from the sin equals death. By his wounds you have been healed. Have you ever experienced failure? Dumb question. We all have, right? You're a bunch of failures, right? Me, we're all a bunch of failures. Here's a great example. So some, some of you know, like at the very, in the very early part of my um, career as a pro baseball, um, yeah, so here's when I was a child. I, I didn't play pro baseball. So, but um, I think this was my first baseball game. And uh, here I am, uh, up to bat. And I, at the time, I remember I was confident. I was so confident I was going to get a touchdown. And <laughs> and uh, and I swung that bat, and guess what? I hit it. Yeah, woo! And uh, I started running. And you can see in the picture. Can you tell that that helmet, can, can you, Matt? That helmet looks pretty big, doesn't it? And as I was running, the helmet like, kind of like settled more and more on my head and over my face. And I ran past first, and I ran past second, 
ran past third, ran all the way to home. And I was celebrating until I heard that I was out at second. <laughs> I couldn't see what I was doing. I had no idea that the, the ball, where the ball was. But, uh, yeah, I don't think I've played baseball since. <laughs> I failed. Jesus did not fail when he hung on that cross. Some people thought he failed, but he did not fail. In John 19.30, it said this, when Jesus had finished, I'm sorry, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Think about those three wonderful words. It is finished. And think about what those three wonderful words mean to you. What was he talking about? It is finished. What he meant as he had lived his life and died on the cross for you and everything that he aimed to accomplish he did it every single one of your sins and my sins that he meant to take care of on that cross he took care of it they're forgiven And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He did it. He did what he came to do. Number four, how can I know that I am loved by God? He rose from the grave for you and for me. John 20, 19 to 20 says this, on the evening of the, that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So what does the resurrection mean for you and for me? So four things I want to highlight this morning as we, uh, as we wrap up. Number one, the death of death. The resurrection of Jesus is the death of death. Jesus came and stood among them. He's like, hey guys, I was dead, but now I'm alive. Death has been destroyed. That is amazing news. The Apostle Paul says this and. Corinthians 15, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus has destroyed death. 
what does the resurrection mean for me and for you? It means the fear, the fear is gone. It's the death of fear. Look at this. In verse 19, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So, okay, so here, the disciples, are, they gave up three, of their, three years of their life, right, to follow Jesus, to, to walk with him, do ministry with him. And they had this grand plan of him being this Messiah that was going to bring victory to, for the Jews over the Romans, and, and they were going to reign in his new kingdom. And then, thing, and then things didn't quite turn out the way they had hoped, and they killed Jesus. And now they're scared to death because very likely the Jews are going to do to them what they did to Jesus. And so they're locked in a room afraid. And we all know over the the coming weeks what happens is they see Jesus over and over again and he shows them that he's alive And the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, and are they afraid any longer? They are not. They are bold, proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth, and we all know what happens. Ten out of eleven of those disciples were killed for their faith in Jesus. Certainly they remembered uh, Isaiah 41.10. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. Are you afraid or discouraged these days? I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. What does the resurrection mean for me and for you? It means peace. The end of verse 19, he says, peace be with you. So Jesus shows up. They're they're scared. He shows up, showing to them that he's alive, and he says, peace be with you. Certainly they remembered uh, back a few chapters before that in John 14, 27, where Jesus says this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not As the world gives to you, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Peace be with you. What does the resurrection mean for me and for you? It means joy. Look at the end of verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Is that like, is that not the understatement of the year? (laughs) Right? Jesus was dead, and now he's alive. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Joy. No doubt they remembered what Jesus had said in John 16, 22. So also, you have sorrow now, This is before his death. He tells his disciples about what's happening, what's going to happen. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. 
No one can steal your joy because your joy is not, the source isn't within. The source is Jesus. The promises that he has given us. It's not us who give ourselves our joy. It is Jesus the one who rose from the grave. He is alive. He is alive. He is alive. And we have the promise that we will live forever with him. Closing scripture, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So three questions to close. Number one, do you agree that your deepest longing is love from God? Are you convinced? And he came, he lived, he died, he rose out of love for you. He came, he lived, he died, he rose out of love for you. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? And question number three, how is God inviting you to respond to his love this morning? Would you please... Oh, I have a quote to end before we stand to pray. This is from Anselm. This is such a fantastic quote. Okay. Let me seek thee in longing. Let me long for thee in seeking. Let me find thee in love and love thee in finding. Now, would you please stand with me as we close in prayer? Jesus, you love me. You came, you lived, you died, you rose. 